The following is brought to you by Braided Media. A programming note before we begin. The auditory experience you're about to embark on is part two of Path to Plate, Unpacking the Food System. If you haven't heard part one, you're doing yourself a disservice and may be at a little bit of a loss here. For you see, today is a continuation that stems from an enlightening conversation on food justice and the conditions that create them that we had with the head of food share, Paul Taylor. It's the perfect end to a mini-series on food. Again, if you haven't heard part one, you're missing some groundwork. Now, if you have listened to part one, well, lean in and enjoy the end of this conversation. Good day, or good evening, and welcome to 54 Lights. This show is designed to elevate black voices through authentically told stories of Africans, African descendants, or allies of the community. For those who don't know, my name is Kendwani Mwase, Ethiopian-born, Canadian-raised, and proudly Malawian. I live in the world of business, but find inspiration, energy, and purpose in creative spaces. This show, 54 Lights, is my passionate pursuit to better understand what shapes and defines our culture. It is the manifestation, if you will, of my curiosity. Without further ramble, let's get back to our conversation with Food Chair's Paul Taylor. Can you tell me in the audience about Food Share? What's the role of Food Share in this community and, and in maybe in other communities as well? Thank you. Um, you know, and uh, before I even acknowledge or answer this question, I must acknowledge the incredible people that I work alongside each and every day. Uh, I am inspired. I am supported. I, uh, I just feel so fortunate to work alongside uh, the team that I do. I think what we've been able to accomplish together is, is something really special that I will always hold near and dear. And I know many of us will always hold near and dear. Food share overall, I think our work is centered on food justice, um, which means kind of like some of the things I spoke about earlier. You know, we start by acknowledging the role that these oppressive organizing, organizing principles play, like racism, capitalism, colonialism, uh, cis-heteropatriarchy, and, and how those things affect, uh, uh, play a role in constructing our modern industrial food system and, and inform who has food to eat and who doesn't. So what we do based on that recognition of what is caused by those injustices, we highlight those injustices, we advocate against them, but we also leverage our resources, our experience uh, and our commitment to food justice to work alongside the communities that have had to endure chronic underinvestment as a result. And these are communities that have high percentages of food insecure residents and that are often disproportionately communities made up of black, indigenous and other people of color. 
So the bulk of our work really focuses on collaborating with folks in these communities across the city of Toronto to develop community-based and often resident-led uh, food infrastructure. Okay, so this is one of the ways that we're challenging capitalism and, and, and the way that we've been forced to depend on a for-profit model to access something as basic as food. So when I say food infrastructure, I mean things like turning a grassy field, you know, or, or a hydro corridor in, Fleming, in the Flemington Park community into an urban farm. And this is an urban farm. Um, it's beautiful. Um, uh, like I say, uh, built on a hydro corridor. And it's a farm that allows folks in the Flemington Park community to grow and sell the food that they produce. It's a community economic development initiative. So we're not saying that food is the solution to food insecurity in, the, in, the, in, in communities, um, but it provides a mechanism for people to be able to generate some revenue uh, to support themselves and their families. It's also about community building and leveraging, you know, underutilized public land to support community-based priorities like growing food. So we've done that at a few different places. We've got a beautiful site uh, at Burnham Thorpe Collegiate Institute where we've turned uh, a field into a two acre youth run farm. And that farm has a weekly produce market that the youth run right in front of right. the farm um, and provide opportunities. I think, you know, when we think about why this kind of food infrastructure is critical. Well, think about those that go to farmer's markets and how proud and wonderful they feel to connect yeah, with yeah. their growers, uh, to buy food that's local um, and ask questions to the growers. Well, that is an experience that often low-income racialized communities have been robbed of. So we are um, you know, creating this, uh, co-creating this kind of food infrastructure with communities uh, so that folks can have those kind of experiences and be building relationships around food. We also work to co-develop and provide, you know, ongoing support to um, what we call good food markets. There are about 50 of them uh, across the city. And these are subsidized produce markets that also look a lot like farmers markets. Mm -hmm. But instead of prioritizing local food, we're prioritizing access, affordability, and culturally relevant produce. So that means that these markets offer local produce as well as produce grown, grown from abroad. That's a sliver of, of some of the things. That I, was just, I was just going to say, you've unpacked two of, of what, what feels like such a deep roster of, of innovative things that you're doing. So I'm, I'm curious, and, and please, I urge people to go to, it's foodshare.net, I believe. That's um, it. Uh, foodshare.net to find out about more of these programs and to get involved, not only through donation, but participation. Um, what I want to ask you, Paul, is that, where do you come up with these innovative ideas? Where do you come up with this ingenuity? It's taking our cue from community. It's, um, you know, Foodshare has been around since 1985. So I, I can't take uh, credit for the kind of uh, reputation that Foodshare has had over the, you, you, since 1985. You know, and many of my colleagues have been working at Foodshare long before I have. But I think it's been a collective commitment uh, from really in the early days to make sure we're taking our cue from community. We're taking our cue from folks that are most affected by the issues. And we are connecting resources um, to those folks. Uh, I think that's been really important. And when you do that, um, people design the interventions that make sense for them uh, and they get behind and support the interventions that make sense for them. Uh, so that's where that comes from. And I think that's why it works so well. 
Right. So, so you're really leaning into that. It's community led versus community involved, right? Like they, they really lead the solution. Is, is that, is that correct? Indeed. Indeed. Wow, We're not amazing. coming in and, and bringing in some lovely folks from affluent communities to hand out, you know, leftovers in low income communities, you know, and then figuring out how to engage community. We, we are working with community to develop things that the community feels is, uh, are, are going to be helpful for them. Who do you want to, 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 to take notice of the work you're doing? Is it government? Is it the is is it other um, other uh, BIPOC communities? Is it who do you want first to say? Oh my gosh, what's Foods Here doing, and and how do we help there? Like what what's uh, what does that entity look like? Well, I, I guess it isn't an entity because I think we all have a role to play in addressing these issues. I think some of us have more of a role to play and have access to the data and the research and the resources, most importantly, to, to be responding. Um, uh, so I think politicians, you know, really need to recognize that, in fact, it's politicians in this country that in 1976 introduced uh, a right to food that says, you know, folks in Canada have a right to food. It's not a right to other people's leftovers. It's not a right to corporate waste or, or, or mislabeled products or things uh, past their best before date. And try, like, that's not what the right to food is. The right mm. to food means the state has an obligation to create the conditions that allow people to access food now and into the future that allow people to feed their families and communities. And when in Canada we have 4.4 million people that are food insecure, the state is breaking its commitment. Uh, it's made a commitment to people. In 1976, that commitment was made. And what we've seen since then is food insecurity increase steadily. So again, it really uh, begs the question, who is public policy uh, created for? Who does it support? And what has happened to the social contract? So I think we all, we need politicians to listen. We need folks that care about these issues to recognize that, you know, handing out uh, tins of tuna and peanut butter and jam, while that might make people feel good, and certainly some people will access that food and eat that food, um, if we really care about this issue and want to see it in our history books, we've got to be holding our politicians accountable. Uh, and, and, and first and foremost, I think we can't let them off the hook. And then I also think, you know, nonprofit leaders uh, and, and other employers are complicit uh, often. You know, we have politicians that are not prioritizing things like pay equity uh, and decent work, livable wages. Uh, and then we have, of course, businesses that have been allowed to and nonprofits that have been allowed to either build their impact or extract wealth and grow their profit on the backs of low wage workers, uh, also causing food insecurity. You know, 60 percent right. of the people in this country that are food insecure derive their income, derive their, their, their describe, sorry, their main source of income as employment. So we need employers uh, to also be stepping up uh, and nonprofits leaders to be stepping up and saying the work begins inside the walls of the organizations and then we all need to be encouraging governments to introduce the type of policy that we need hmm. thank you for that there there are some rituals and i was going to go in a slightly different direction with this question but there are some rituals when it comes to food 
food preparation, ingredients, and, and sort of all of that dynamism that comes from different cultures accessing food and cooking food and even how they eat it and, you know, that whole, uh, that, that whole ecosystem, that whole energy, sorry. Do you look at the food system and the rituals around the food system in a more, even, even more broader perspective? Sorry, when you think of food, do you think of the food system or do when you think of food, do you think about sort of like the, the rituals about the preparation that I was talking about? Like which, which for you is more kind of prescient? I think we have to think about, we have to think about it all, you know, um, as we're engaging in rituals around food, I feel like which are important. Um, how can we do that and feel good when the workers who are harvesting our food, who are growing our food, um, are being exploited uh, through public policy and through government neglect. Um, you know, I, I, I was reflecting the other day, I love nectarines. My, like, I just go wild over nectarines and they're at the farmer's market in my community now. And I left with more than I should to go home to eat more than I should. But you know, <laughs> with every bite that I'm taking, I feel like, you know, what would be more delicious than this, than this tasty nectarine? It would be knowing that the workers um, who harvested and nurtured and cared for this nectarine that I find so delicious were treated with respect and the dignity that we all deserve. Uh, and I think also knowing that thinking about the impact on the environment that this nectarine, producing this nectarine may have had. You know, I think we need a systems approach to looking at um, uh, food and we need to be thinking about these kind of advancing more critical conversations about things like local food. Uh, we may not be, you know, flying uh, food in thousands of miles, but we're flying people in thousands of miles and they're black and brown people and we're treating them poorly and we're turning a blind eye. So every time I bite into that nectarine that I love, that I, you know, love to sit in a beautiful spot and enjoy and it's part of my uh, ritual for me, I can't enjoy it as much as I feel like I should uh, until I know that all folks connected to that nectarine and the planet is, is cared for as part of that process. I think one of the things that's really interesting is people like yourself, right? So you, your team, there's an energy, there's a, I'm using that, overusing that word, but I think that there is just a, a way of doing things and a way of reflecting on things, like you mentioned about the nectarine, that is perhaps feels like it's inaccessible to quote unquote, the everyday person. What would you, what advice would you give to, to sort of people in their everyday uh, about how to how to have an impact here. I, I notice on your website you do have some volunteering um, uh, opportunities for people, but is is that is that how you would encourage people to step up, so to speak? That's a really interesting. Yeah, I, I would say actually we we are decreasing the number of volunteer opportunities pretty rapidly. Mm -hmm. um, we are not on on purpose or, or intentionally, that, absolutely intentionally. Okay, sorry. Go ahead. We are not. We're not interested in growing the impact of our work on the backs of unpaid on the back of unpaid labor. Um, mm -hmm. So what we are committed to doing is creating decent work, and we know the impact that that has. You know, we uh, became a living wage employer this spring. We've since then in, the living wage is twenty two oh eight. Since that, we've increased our minimum wage to twenty four dollars an hour. Um, so uh, 
Yeah, we, we, we are focused on creating decent work uh, and jobs that are livable. Um, so ways that people can get involved, I'm going to give a different kind of response. Sure, people can Please. donate, and we yeah. always appreciate that. Um, sure, people can buy the Good Food Box uh, mm-hmm. online if they live in Toronto, and we appreciate that. But that's not what's driving us. And I think that is a big question for the nonprofit sector and the charitable sector. It can't be about pleading for donations to get bigger and bigger, um, while the issues that we face get bigger and bigger. So what I would love to see is more people take the few minutes to contact your local politician and say, what is your level of government doing about food insecurity and poverty in this country? And continue to hold them accountable. Politicians are really good at a, a bunch of fanciful words, um, <laughs> but there, there's data that shows us that food insecurity is on the rise. It's a racialized issue, uh, or it's an issue that has been, uh, uh, you know, has been caused by things like anti-indigeneity and anti-black racism. So we need to make sure that we're understanding these issues and then doing everything we can to hold our politicians accountable. And the reason I say also our politicians accountable, because we don't have the capacity to police every nectarine that we eat or right. to investigate or research every nectarine that we uh, that yeah, we that's eat. In, that's entrusted to the government, right? Exactly. And they're failing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we, we all need to come together and say that we don't accept failure. Paul, I have about five minutes left, four minutes left with you, and I'd, I'm going to try and squeak every last uh, juice out of that uh, time nectarine, if I may. Um, switching switching gears just a little bit, and I want to ask you for, uh, call this a little bit of a rapid fire questions. I want you to pick which one comes most naturally to you uh, okay. first, and then maybe a short explanation as to why you would choose that, uh, that path. I only have about three of these. But since we are talking about food, if you were given a chance, would you be a chef or a waiter? So I'm asking you to make dinner for five families, your closest friends and family. You know, would you be the chef or would you be like, okay, I'm going to contribute to this meal by by picking up the dishes and, and, and getting everybody uh, orders? I feel like it would be more magnanimous of me to say that I would be the, 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 the server, but uh, I would be the chef. I love cooking <laughs> far too much. And I think about what I'm going to cook after I've just finished cooking a meal. To play versus to coach? Huh, when it comes to sports, uh, I'm gonna say a hard left. Uh, I'm gonna get off the field. Um, <laughs> that's, not, that's not the space for me. Um, and I certainly wouldn't, uh, wouldn't be the best at providing directions to those, those on the field. Um, so I would probably be closest to the concession stand, having conversations about working conditions and, uh, uh, and the like. Uh, I love your honesty, Paul. I appreciate that. You're not, you're not making yourself out to be something you're not. That's good. No, there's no time for that. Um, to lead or to back up. Now I'm going to take you to the musical world. You're relaxing on a Saturday afternoon and somebody calls you up and say, hey, Paul, we need somebody to take to the stage and give an entertaining um, evening to these people. Would you be the lead singer of this group or would you be a backup singer for this group? Well, I guess it's uh, this is a question that depends on context, I suppose. If we're in my shower, I would be the lead singer, for sure, uh, and do a brilliant job at that. But uh, uh, if there was an audience, I would be the backup to the backup to the backup. 
The backups to the backups to the backups are important. They make up the song. They make up the song. The backbone. Uh, I've got a, one last question to leave you with here. And that is, it's maybe a little bit tied to the work that you do and, and, and at Food Share, but outside of it, do you, do you prefer to iterate or to innovate? Um, pure mm-hmm. innovation, let's say. And um, the reason why I'm asking that question is that you've created through Food Share, there's some really remarkable um, ingenious, creative ways of getting things done. We're talking about the urban farm. We're talking about everything you just talked about, the infrastructure building that. I think that's a really innovative way of doing things. But is it is it is it more you're prone to innovate or to iterate? And that's, you know, just yeah. kind of build upon what's, what's there. I'm going to say neither of those really, really hmm. uh, speak to me. I, I would say that what I'm more prone to do is listen. Um, listen and then cooperate uh, and collaborate whatever that might look like and whatever, uh, uh, you know, whatever you want to call it, whether you want to call it innovation or, or, or something else, um, you know, I think what's important is the listening uh, and the doing and the doing together. So there you have it. The conversation continues. Part of our show was recorded and produced at Culturelight Studios, the soundstage and auditory office of 54 Lights. Music for this show was played, composed, and enjoyed with permission by my friend Roland Best at E-Roll Beats. Special thanks once again to my amazing guest Paul Taylor and his infinitely important organization, Foodshare. Find and follow them at foodshare.net. And get involved, as Paul mentioned, by writing your local representative and keeping them to account. If you like what you've heard, remember that there's more. Our ongoing and upcoming roster of shows features the best of the community and its allies. Up next, the culture of music. A journey we started a few weeks ago with an interview with Kiff Radio, which was called Loving the Triple Threat, if you want to take a listen. And it'll continue in the next few weeks with the makers and composers of music. Be sure to subscribe so you won't miss any of those upcoming shows. Remember, you can find us wherever you do your listening. And of course, if you enjoy some social sprinkled in with your experience, please follow us on Instagram under our handle, Crowd54. Listen, like, share. This is your host, Kandwani Mwase. Until we meet again, thank you for listening.